Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We love movies with Gordon Hayden. This film blew me away. So that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Hasta la vista, baby. And the winner is... We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden. Spin. Hello and welcome along to this week's We Love Movies. It is finally here. The film has already become a bit of a a cult in the sense that it's got a following desperate to see it. Uh, That is Michael Flatley's Blackbird. We never thought it would see the light of day and it's now finally in cinemas. The scary thing though is, what if it's good? We'll be finding out very shortly on We Love Movies. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You are listening to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden and I'm joined as always by critics Andy McCarroll, Olivia Fahey and Chris Wasser. A film that, I'm not going to lie to you, this has been like my Moby Dick. Michael Flatley's Blackbird. I never thought it would see the light of day. Michael Flatley probably thought it would never see the light of day. And, and, And for this man and his sheer level of narcissism, this is a big vanity project that he's played an awful lot of money into. And uh, it did win an award at the uh, Monaco Film Festival, which I think Michael may have set up. And it also won an award at the Monaco Film Festival, even though the film didn't happen to play at it because for some terrible reason, there was a problem with the projector and it just couldn't play the film in advance. But it won an award. So that's been used as part of the marketing campaign. Now, Chris, I'm going to turn to you first to find out the plot to the Monaco Film Festival award-winning film Blackbird. And uh, just tell us what's going on. Yeah, sure. Gordon, it's Fisher-Price Casablanca all the way. So we have the Lord of the Dance himself taking center stage, of course, and he plays a ex-secret agent named Victor Blackley, a.k.a. the Blackbird. Victor and Blackley, Victor which kind of sounds like Michael Flatley. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's stretching his imagination here and ours uh, along the way. So he was a secret agent. He was actually part of a band of British and Irish secret agents who called themselves the Chieftains. I'm just going to, you know, just just process that for, for, for a minute if you can. And they disband... They're not the band, they're the spies, but they disband following the tragic death of um, uh, Victor Blackley's fiance. And so the film starts at her funeral and, you know, we know she's dead because it's a funeral. We know it's her because we keep getting these sketchy flashbacks and we know that Victor is very sorry and blames himself for her death because everyone else has an umbrella at the funeral, but he actually refuses an umbrella. That's how that's how hard a man we're working with here. And everyone offers their condolences and they're all t- wondering what's Victor going to do next? I don't think anyone expects him then to open a hotel and nightclub in Barbados. And that's what all the spies do. They actually go from being spies to, you know, nightclub managers, essentially. And they spend 10 years living this good life. But, you know, you know that, you know, Victor is is plagued with regret and, and with sorrow. And suddenly out of the blue one day, an old flame returns and her name is Vivian. She's played by Nicole Evans. Um, she has brought along her arms dealer uh, husband to be Blake, played by a outrageously over the top Eric Roberts to the hotel. And he's involved in some sort of, you know, arms dealery deal with war criminals it doesn't really make sense but it doesn't matter and you just know that you know victor and all of his guys they're going to have to come out of spy retirements they they, they can't you know turn the other way while this shady criminal is doing all these shady things at the hotel so the blackbird is going to have to come out of retirement for one last job it's a love story it's a spy film it's again the cheapest version of casablanca you've ever seen away we go oh bliss let's take a little bit from michael flatley's blackbird not to be confused with Taron Edgerton's. Blake Molyneux is extremely dangerous. This is our chance. 
We must get Victor involved. No one can do what he does. I'm not the man I used to be. The Blackbird is dead. So there is a bit from Blackbird, the epic that is Michael Flatley's espionage thriller slash romantic drama. Andy, what are your thoughts on this? Because I'm shocked that it's actually managed to get a release, but I'm sure Flatley has made sure he's paid for it. Did you ever think we'd see the light of day? I genuinely didn't. And I was probably more shocked that Monaco resident Michael Flatley won the Monaco Film Award that is sponsored by Michael Flatley (laughs) without the film actually being shown at the Monaco Film Award. So yeah, there's been quite a few surprises. It's the kind of, you know, spy and intrigue that maybe the Blackboard himself would be proud of. I thought this was going to be buried in a drawer somewhere and this would be something that we would never see. What's even more surprising to me is one, that it's being released and two, that he's kind of getting in front of it and seems very proud of the film. Like he showed up at the premiere at the lighthouse to, you know, talk about how his, you know, his old Irish mammy would have loved a film like this. And if his old Irish mammy loves films like this, you know, I wouldn't be going to her for too many recommendations now. I think it's safe to say, but <laughs> I, I am so happy it's out. There's nothing better than a good, bad movie. And I just, I just want this to be the room. The worst thing for me to be is that this is just grand. I want it to be either surprisingly face-off good or the room bad. I don't want anything in between. I don't want grey Volvo. I want this to be a car crash of a disaster or I want this to be the best film ever made and flatly can just shove it down everyone's throats who said it was going to be terrible. Now, Olivia, I've been really snarky about this, but you know what? I do have, and bear with me on this, a bit of admiration for him because this is an incredibly big vanity project for Michael Flatley. Like, this is his James Bond slash... Casablanca he spent an awful lot of his own money because it's his own production company behind it and he has seen this right through to the end I think it was finished I think it was shot and everything in 2018 so it's been in that editing suite for a long time hats off to him for going through with it was there ever a part of you when you sat down for the press screening that thought what if this is any good no <laughs> Just to be perfectly blunt, there was absolutely no point where I thought that I was actually sitting there going, how bad is this going to be? And like, you have actually made a brilliant pun and you don't even know it because you're saying like, oh, like, was it hats off to him? It's like the amount of times this man changed hat in the film was insane. And while, yes, fair dues to him, he wrote, he directed, he starred in this film, he funded it, all that jazz. It was almost like, you handed a bunch of money to a bunch of film students who haven't actually started any course work yet and they just went and ran with it. Like there was con- continuity errors all over the place. Some of the background actors hadn't got a bloody clue what they were doing. And there was one moment which just made me laugh uncontrollably when one of the extras comes along and he's placing like an ice bucket in front of uh, Eric Roberts and um, the actress who plays Vivian, whose name escapes me right now, And he's like very, very like over the top, like trying to be like, hello and welcome. But you can tell us the whole like rhubarb, rhubarb. I'm just moving my mouth and not actually saying any words. And then instead of pulling out a bottle from the bucket to pour some champagne, it is just the two glasses themselves (laughs) that he was clearly just told to go and bring out. And then for some reason did it in a bucket. It was just what it's all of these like little things that inexperienced movie makers do and don't notice are bad like people making like very obvious movements across the camera very weird editing cuts and things like that 
But at the end of the day, this is what makes the film kind of brilliant because you will then want to watch it over and over again and do what they do with the room and play games along whilst watching it. Like every time he goes to call someone's son who is clearly like way older than him, like that's the time that you do a tequila shot or you have a tequila shot every time he has a tequila shot. Like that type of thing is it like I cannot wait for the cult cinema clubs to start showing this in 10 years time just so I can see what kind of like spoon throwing crap we're going to come up with for it. Because we should also say as well, Chris, that when it comes to the caliber behind the camera, flatly, if I'm right in saying he's written it, he's produced it and he's directed it. Now, you would think that maybe it would have been worth bringing in a more seasoned hand behind the camera to steady the ship. But Flatley can do it all. He's the most confident, um, you know, performer. Choose your words carefully. Dancer <laughs> in, in the world. No, he was never going to collaborate with anyone on this. Um, and it's funny, he's, he's been doing the round saying that this is not a vanity project. And he always follows it up by saying, you know, I was telling Mammy for years that, you know, I was going to make a film. And look, if I, if I can just... I, it's like when you were saying that you admire him in, in a sense. If he did make a promise to his mother that he was going to make a film, it's quite sweet that he followed up on that. But I, I'm just going to forget that I actually said that. It's a vanity project. You are a man who is not, you know, you're a man who is not a filmmaker. You've never written anything before. You've never, you, you don't make films. So to all of a sudden then pump your vast fortune into a film where you are controlling everything. Uh, including this idea that you're this kind of dreamy superhero, all the guys want to be him, all the women, and every, almost every woman in this film wants to be with the Blackbird. That's a vanity project. I mean, there is a line in here where uh, Madeline, uh, played by Mary Louise Kelly, and she's sort of part of the, you know, the 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 spy turned hotelier group, but she's also a singer in the hotel. She, you know, is making such googly eyes at Michael Flatley. She's pretty much making love to Michael Flatley with her eyes, and eventually gets to, you know, stand in front of him and say, I must say, you're looking very handsome. And you're thinking to yourself, Michael Flatley wrote this line. He he, <laughs> he, he wrote that line. Um, but also, I should say, this is a terrible film. I mean, it is terrible. Uh, but it's, it, it's competent in a way that, you know, it tells a story. It doesn't tell a story well, but it tells a story. You know, the camera is straight. It never falls over. Everyone remembers their lines. Uh, you know, it does, I think, what it's supposed to. But it also kind of transcends its awfulness to become, you know, this unintentional and also the best comedy of the year. I, I found just some of the some of the cues, some of the performances, some of the dialogue just funnier than any you know, intentional, any any comedy offering we saw in cinemas this year. Olivia mentioned the hat thing. The hat thing is just fabulous. There is a scene where he has a flat cap and for reasons that best known to Michael Flatley himself, at the end of a conversation, an assistant comes along, he takes off the flat cap and he changes it to a fedora and gets in his car and drives off because God forbid he should drive a car with a flat cap. You need your fedora to drive. There are scenes in here where he goes to Holy Confession and says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned and I'm about to sin again. And then runs off into the night. You know, <laughs> There is one memorable scene where he refers to the henchman of his, you know, uh, of his new enemy. That's Eric Roberts, uh, Blake, as oh, he's a big unit. That's the kind of dialogue we're dealing with here. But it, but look, the, the the response to it, certainly at the press screening, was just one of joy. People were just, you know, laughing and clapping along. And it's probably the best fun I've had in the cinema. I mean, I don't know if Flatley is aware 
of the fact that people are laughing at a film. I don't think he's in on the joke. I think he's surrounded himself by his own hype and all of these people saying, yes, Michael, and nodding their head and allowing him to make this thing that he won't know that we're laughing at him. But I would just actually like to say, thanks for this, Michael. Like, like this has been... This has been such a joy to be a part of. I don't I want to hear have some great news for you as well, Chris, because I was looking back through interviews and two years ago he said he is in pre-production on Blackboard 2. I'd watch no. a Blackboard 2. Yay. I would absolutely watch a Blackboard yeah. 2. Do you know what I would love to see? I would love to see Blackbird and Pierce Brosnan's Taffin have a crossover <laughs> because if anyone is like for me, Taffin is another gem. Like I live in Greystones and every now and again they hold special screenings of Taffin out here because it was shot on the mean streets of Greystones and in Wicklow Town. So you do get, to, uh, there's like, there's old cast and crew screenings that happen every now and again. And like Taffin is an unbelievable piece of work. Imagine like uh, if Glen Rowe tried to turn itself into an action film. Oh, like, yeah. That's what it wants to be. If there is a Blackbird to God knows how much more money Michael Flatley is going to have to pump into it. No wonder Lord of the Dance is coming back to if the If you don't gosh. like them having that in Greystones, Gordon, then maybe you shouldn't be living there. Oh, very good. <laughs> oh, that's... I mean, Andy can retire now. <laughs> Could I just ask very quickly, just before we go, Olivia and Chris, uh, before we get the scores, like, you mentioned Eric Roberts is chewing all the scenery around him. Like, the only other actor of, of note in terms of a profile is Patrick Bergen. Um, is Patrick in it much by any chance or is it just very much Patrick we got you for the day and we'll just try to shoehorn in as much as we can with you from what I remember he's kind of only in it briefly kind of at the beginning one scene in the middle and then at the end for one scene so it's it's very sporadic and actually um, Ian Beatty who was known for Game of Thrones he's actually probably in it more because he plays Victor's best friend Nick Um. So he'd probably actually be an even more recognizable face for the masses because of Game of Thrones. Um, but yeah, there are there are moments with the, with some of the performances as well that like you're actually kind of going, Jesus, you know what? Michael Flatley's not actually the worst thing in this in this bit, like wow, <laughs> which is another like thing. shocker at times. Yeah, uh, guys, I'm just gonna need to get scores because we do need to touch on what else is playing this weekend. Because I know Blackbird is uh, it, it, it God, I feel like this is a real musty. Um, for you, Olivia, out of ten for Blackbird. Oh God. Okay, if we're going for out of ten for the actual like quality of the film, I'm going to give it a four. But for my enjoyment levels and like, would I go back and see it again? Hands down, I would. So I give it an eight. There, yeah, I think we'll do the same with you, Chris. Let's get two scores on this. Oh God. Right. Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. There well, is actually, the- I, I think it's I think it's important to note this is supposed to be an action film. It's it's I think it, it's it's barely a spy film. It's supposed to be an action film. Don't go expecting any action. I mean, it's so weird that, you know, you, we got the poster with the explosions on it. You know, the explosions and Michael Flatley's belly on the poster. That was a weird one. And, we, you know, we see him with the two guns. All of the action takes place off screen. And I don't know why that is. And I kind of feel like Flatley might have missed the trick there. You know, put some, of, you know, put those dancing feet into action and, and actually have a bit of fun with it. So it is a film where everyone just talks and talks and talks. But the things that they're saying made me laugh. So it is absolute unadulterated rubbish but it i cackled like a madman in the cinema and i just had so much fun with it and i really do think it is the best comedy of the year so it's a terrible film we'll give it a four out of ten but i'll go with the ace okay if you want to go along with it (laughs) if you want to go along you bring bring sweets and drink or whatever your voice is and just just have fun with us but but know that we said it's a terrible film okay 
I, I, you know what the sad thing is? I'd say there might be a, a flatly rep now is listening to this. Go, Eight out of ten. Oh wow! <laughs> I'll, we'll put that somewhere. We're going to uh, end please, up on the poster, please, Chris. Please, on, on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> for, for for Andy's enjoyment alone, if you can get Chris Foster given all, it might seem like a complimentary uh, <laughs> review of Blackbird. I just want to bring up just what else is playing in cinemas this weekend. I have to say, I didn't even know that this was even coming out. Andy, the film is called Fall. It stars. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, who's recently been cast in uh, the new season of uh, of uh, the Boys, and he was in the likes of The Walking Dead. He was also what, what else? The Watchmen as well. He played the comedian in The Watchmen. So, um, really good character actor. What's going on with the plot for this? You say stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I'll tell you something. We'll, we'll get onto that in a second. Anyway, the story of the film is these two best friends. They're climbing at the start of the film. One of the girls' husband falls off. He dies. She gets really depressed. The other girl is like this Instagram influencer that travels the world. Don't know travels the world on like all expensive pay trips, and she only has sixty thousand followers on Instagram, which is you know one of many unbelievable things in this film. Anyway, these two really annoying girls decide to climb a tower to get over the fact that our, our husband died and this is you know conquer your fears and hashtag girl boss which is actually a line in the film they put hashtag in front of so many lines in this film but yeah the 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 only positive i can say about this film i'll get into it no more was that jeffrey dean morgan's agent deserves a raise because he literally shows up at the start of the film says two lines and then shows up at the end of the film which is supposed to be about six months later in the clearly the exact same clothes Hair, everything looks exactly the same. He's clearly said, you know, you've got me for a half an hour. A million quid? Yeah. Lines, just kind of grunt at people and walk off. So, yeah, the, the one positive is that I need to get Jeffrey Dean Morgan's agent because nothing else in this film is in any way entertaining. The two are the most annoying characters I've ever seen in any film ever. They talk like a Snapchat filter come to life. And from about 30 seconds into the film, I was checking the watch going, how long is left on this thing? Why can't they just fall off and both just die now? And I would gladly, you know, I'd give the film five stars if it ends before 60 seconds. It is ungodly bad. And just to give you one more scene in this, one of the girls snatches a vulture from midair and eats it you know, to show that she's like the survival of the fittest. And it's done in a way that is like not a joke. They're trying to take this completely seriously. It is infuriating. And there's a line at the end of the film, you know, you've got to live your life to the fullest or it goes by so quickly. Two hours has never gone by as slowly in my life. I was ready to climb and jump off a tower myself. I actually envied the vulture by the end of this film. Dear Lord, Jesus, this sounds absolutely horrendous. Surely there's got to be a positive take on this. Chris. Yes, um, I disagree, Andy. Um, I, I look the first five minutes of this film. I thought, well, this is terrible. There's some bad CG. You know, the husband that you mentioned, his death, he essentially falls off the side of a cliff. It's a, it's, it's a very, you know, it's a pound shop sort of cliffhanger opening. Um, I, I thought, I, I, I can't get on board with this. Maybe forty minutes later, you know, because it is quite a long film. I was, I was fully invested, and I think a part of that has to do with the fact that Stephen Mann, the, the, the director and co-writer, he sort of embraces this, you know, deranged, demented B-movie setup. You know, what if these characters climbed this impossibly large, well, I say impossibly large, but the tower, the radio tower in the Californian desert 
desert that they climb is supposed to be a real tower in the California desert. It's this 2,000 foot abandoned tower that, you know, I don't know how this thing is still standing and you'd want to be out of your mind to climb it. But I once they get up there and the ladder falls off the thing, Stephen Mann working with a $3 million budget, sometimes it looks cheap, but he made the most of it, I thought. And I, I would urge people to see this on the biggest screen that, that they can find. Some of the effects in here, though dodgy, there are some effects later on. There's some clever use. I thought he used the camera quite well to kind of create that vertiginous effect where you're thinking to yourself, even from the comfort of your seat, I can't deal with this. It's just it it just messes with your head. It makes you sweat. I, I I thought it was quite effective given that they had such you know little resources to work with. I enjoyed the soapy melodrama. I thought it was hilarious. And there are all sorts of plot swerves and twists that yes, some of them are taken and lifted from other similarly minded you know survival films. But even though they were you know shameless, even though they were quite shameless in the way they were stolen, they actually they were an absolute riot. I thought no, they worked no. quite well. The, the, the twist, no. Absolutely not. I wish I could those two twists and I wish I could spoil both of them just to tell you how stupid it is because if I discourage even one person from going for this film, then I would have done my job. Chris is trying to make it sound, oh, it's this great little fun B movie. It is horrendous. Oh, two no, of the most it, unlikable it people you'll ever see. The worst story you'll ever see and the stupidest <laughs> plot contrivances. I'm actually getting angry with this and I don't think we should have Chris in the show anymore. If he's recommending this to people, Chris, I'm giving people out your home address because if someone, if I handed 50 15 quid to see this film, I would be looking for you. Jesus, Andy, trying to say you really feel. Andy, Andy and I are going to have a, you know, a fist fight after, after we're finished here. Chris I Walter actually, on I, Twitter, but, find but, him and he will send you your money back. <laughs> but I actually, I actually like the fact that the characters are so unlikable because they are placed in this night, nightmare scenario where one of them could die any second. And it, Stephen Mann actually has an awful lot of fun, you know, making you think that, look, one slip and they're gone. So I quite liked the, all of the things that they, you know, that, the, that, that, that go wrong at the top of this tower. And again, I thought visually, you've only got $3 million to work with. I forgot about the fact that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was in it I, he does nothing in it that's you know just just forget about that visually they made the most of it and I, I i really enjoyed it it is so absurd it is so stupid it is so important it's so hard to believe but you know almost like blackbird except you know this film actually knows what it's at and there is a bit of skill involved so just to jump just, in, sorry just to jump in chris i was just looking at the the filmography there of the director scott man who i've never heard before yeah and probably the most the biggest thing he's done is Final score. Does anyone remember that with Pierce Brosnan? Yeah, in the and football stadium. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, no, I tell a lie, right? 2015, he made a film with Robert De Niro called Heist. Yeah, Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey D. Morgan was in that one. Jeffrey D. Morgan and Dave Batista. So no wonder he got he's working with Batista. See, obviously, uh, what was De Niro doing in that? I'll yeah, tell you this, I'll this tell you last I did, uh, I mean, look, okay, I strongly disagree with this, but we might have a laugh with this fact. One of the more unusual uh, uh, aspects of this film was that when it was being made, it was being, um, you know, targeted towards like, a, you know, an older audience that was going to have an R rating. But when Lionsgate, when the folks at Lionsgate saw it and they purchased the rights to it, they want as many people to see it as possible because, you know, if it makes a fortune, then it'll be one of those success stories where, oh, this thing cost three million, it made 30 million. It's not going to do that, but that's what they were hoping for. So they made Man go back and clean up all of the bad language in the film, which was really difficult for him because apparently the whole cut was just, oh, effing and blind and every time someone slips on the thing. Oh, no. So they actually had to go to man's own company um, with that, that like specializes in kind of, you know, uh, uh, special effects and, 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 and sort of like deep fake technology and, and change everything. 
So I just, I just thought that was hilarious that they went to so much trouble to basically try and make this family friendly when it's about two people trying not to die at the top of a tower. <laughs> okay, let us get scores out of 10. Andy, um, I don't know, as you give your score, if there's one last little thing you need to exercise. No, it's it's zero. I cannot think of one positive thing to say about this, except <laughs> the fact that it's probably going to result in Chris having to pay people money to you know give them back for you know, two hours of their life for this film. So that's the, the one positive. And even then, I can't go above zero. It is the worst film I have seen in years. Oh, Jeannie, Matt, don't hold back there, our Andy. Chris? Andy, uh, is, is someone someone give him a chocolate biscuit or something. Uh, I just, I, I, we're going to talk about that more. Um, I quite enjoyed it. It is bananas. It is stupid, but it's gloriously stupid. Six out of ten. Six. <laughs> hey Andy, you sound like a BG there. <laughs> six, six out of ten. <laughs> Don't think I've ever heard Andy hit such oh, a high note. Oh. I was just thinking the same thing. <laughs> There you go. Chris has metaphorically kicked me in the you-know-whats and I think that's why I sound like that. <laughs> that is brilliant. So Fall is also out this weekend should you want to drag yourself to see that starring Jeffrey Dean Morgan and also Michael Flatley's Blackbird there too. Two absolute gems of uh, varying quality there uh, playing in cinemas. When we come back we'll have a round of the movie news and we'll be chatting about the new Lord of the Rings TV series that has come to Amazon Prime. We Love Movies is back shortly. We Love Movies with Gordon Hayden on Spin. You are very welcome back to We Love Movies. I'm Gordon Hayden. As always, I'm joined by critics Chris Wasser, Olivia Fahey and Andy McCarroll. Very soon, we will be chatting about all things movie news. But first, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power has come to Amazon Prime and it's come with an awful lot of hoo-ha because I think the big talking point has been about how much Amazon are willing to fork out for five seasons of it. One billion is the estimate for the budget for this. So that seems to have kind of really dominated. But it's also one of those series that the knives are out for this before anyone has even seen it. It's like people want to hate it before uh, they've managed to clap eyes on it. So Chris, you have managed to clap eyes on it. Um, You've seen the first couple of episodes. Uh, The showrunners, with the greatest respect, aren't two sort of proven showrunners within the business. But um, they've been handed a massive property that has been signed off by uh, the Tolkien estate. So give us a bit of a setup here. Are we talking, is it about, like you know the way with House of the Dragon, which was set, was it two or 300 years before the events of Game of Thrones? Are we kind of talking similar in the sense that we're talking hundreds of years prior to the events of Lord of the Rings? Well, with, you know, House of the Dragon is set a couple hundred years before Game of the Thrones. Lord, the Rings of Power is set a couple thousand years before ah. uh, the Lord of the Rings. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's an awful lot to do with the story that the guys behind it wanted to tell, but it might have more to do with the, the fact that Amazon and the filmmakers, they're not allowed to touch what Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings. So it's the Lord of the Rings, but it's actually based on, you know, Tolkien's era or Tolkien's appendices, you know, and also, you know, taking characters and stories around the stories. They're just not allowed to touch. Basically, they're not allowed to remake the films that Peter Jackson gave us. Though Peter Jackson was at one stage asked to participate, you know, they actually wanted him involved, Amazon that is, in Prime Video. And he asked them for a screenplay because that's how he works and that's how filmmakers should work. You know, they asked for the story first, said, let me, let me see it. You know, the guys that, uh, at Amazon said, oh, we haven't got a screenplay yet. No, we're just developing this thing. We've bought the rights. We bought the rights for $250, $300 million and now we're going to develop it. And he said, I will only look at us when there's a screenplay. 
they never got back to him. So that was the end of that. But the guys behind it, J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, they come recommended by J.J. Abrams and their story sets up its stall in the second age of Middle Earth. And Lord of the Rings fans will know that that's a couple of millennia before The Hobbit and that a lot of the characters from the Lord of the Rings books and from the films are, you know, an awful lot younger, <laughs> let's say. So you have Galadriel, who's, uh, play, who was played in films by Kate Blanchett. She is now played by Morfitt Clark. She is at this, at this point, you know, a young and fearsome elf warrior. And she's the only elf in her kingdom who actually believes that uh, Sauron, the Dark Lord, um, that, you know, there was this war with him and that he's still out there, that he's still waiting, you know, for, for you know, his big comeback and that he's got all, all of his wicked orcs hiding around the corner and things are going to get, you know, just ugly basically um but the other elves think you know this is peacetime you know and they're they're, they're quite po-faced they're more you know concerned with kind of you know um you know build, building building up their city basically we even have elrond back who was played by yuga weaving who's now played by robert arameo uh replacing uh will poulter will poulter was actually supposed to play elrond they're more concerned with basically just building up their city the humans meanwhile are kind of just you know trying to stay alive the dwarves are underground you know they kind of stick to themselves it's the usual setup that they all all of these kind of you know all these races sort of hate each other but you know that there's this big epic showdown between good and evil about to take place and that they'll all end up fighting and of course i should mention we have hobbits we have the harfoots lenny henry leads the charge and for reasons i can't quite explain they all have irish accents really oh wow it's a bit bizarre and but now when you say irish accents how bad are we talking here chris because getting the irish accent is a hard thing to do are we going down the sort of the begora type territory Oh, Begara and Majesus, it's it's Darby O'Gill and the little people all the way. And I realize that's an actual, you know, there's a pun in there. Um, I, I, I don't really know why all of the, the, the Harfoots have Irish accents. For for you know, for a few seconds I thought, wait, hold on, is that is that a Yorkshire twang or is that a is that a Galway twang? And it's definitely more towards Galway. Um so all of the Harfoots, they they are like little Celtic Celtic leprechauns. It's so weird, Gordon. Um, I mean, you eventually kind of fall into the rhythm of it. Um, and I suppose that, 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 that the big story connected with them, it involves basically a man, a bearded man, literally falling from the sky. You might know who he is and where they're going with that. The story that, that, that that's going on with Lenny Henry and all of his Hobbit characters, that sort of you know distracts you in a way, but they're definitely Irish. Oh, okay. Now, Chris... There's five seasons planned for this, so yep. they, they've they've got the roadmap set out in front. In terms of the style and the tone, would it be very similar to Peter Jackson's, uh, not only his Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also the Hobbit series as well? Or is this very much its own thing? It, it's it's a little bit of both. Um, it's quite playful, but it doesn't have, you know, that Peter Jackson playfulness, you know, where he kind of, you know, Peter Jackson was always pushing things as far as he could, given the fact that, you know, the studio behind those films wanted families to watch them. You know, he started off as, uh, you know, uh, uh, he did some of the things he did in his earlier films particularly in the in, in in the horror stuff you know they're a little left of center let's say and he brought he pushed things as, as far as he could with the lord of the rings so there's a little bit of that going on and you know there is a playfulness to it there's a sense of humor but it is its own thing and that it's it, it's it's quite magical it's quite you know it it, it 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 kind of wants to kind of capture that 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 game of thrones audience but it, it takes itself very seriously um and that might be a little bit of a concern going forward you know that there's there's eight more hours of this thing that we still have to watch and i hope it doesn't take itself too seriously um but it's quite impressive i mean you you can definitely see 
the budget up there. You know, it is the world's most expensive TV show. Amazon Prime have this plan to spend $1 billion on five seasons. And when you really think about it, that's not too much more than, than what, you know, HBO is paying for Game of Thrones or, or House of the Dragon. If, they're, if they actually continue to make more House of the Dragon and if they make five years of it, that's going to amount to, you know, somewhere between $800 million and a billion dollars. So there's an awful lot of expensive fantasy television out there at the minute. Is The Rings of Power the best of them? I'm not sure. It, it it it's certainly it's certainly looking that way you know that once once we've seen more of it maybe you know it kind of it looks amazing you know it's 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 more than cinematic you know I, I again i would urge you to to watch don't watch this on your laptop do not watch this on the well, try just cast the bloody thing watch it on the biggest screen you, you have at home if, if your mate has a bigger television watch it on theirs because it's a spectacle driven epic that deserves to be kind of you know soaked up on a big screen it's almost a shame that we're not getting it on a big screen and though it's not quite as compelling as the Lord of the Rings, it does promise, you know, this tantalizing payoff if, if for those that stick with it. And I will stick with it because it's telling a neat story. The characters are quite likable. And it's also, Gordon, it's it's quite lovely to be back in that world, to be honest. And it's quite lovely to be back in a fantasy world that that it isn't out to shock you or provoke you or to just bore you, which is exactly what Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon does for me at the minute. This is something else entirely, and I will be sticking with it. All right, so Lord of the Rings, uh, The Rings of Power, now available on Amazon Prime there. Movie news is next, but first, though, here's just a little bit to whet your appetite for The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Our people believe that when a new king is crowned, the voices of all his forebears flow into him. You need not wait for that day to hear my voice. Forever am I with you, my son. Now it's time to move on to all things movie news. Andy, I'm going to start with you because uh, you you put up a tweet there during the week, which definitely made me cackle. And it's... uh, Dwayne Johnson, your old pal, he's recently managed to uh, watch a very special screening of Black Adam. So just set the scene for those that uh, might have missed this picture and why it got your blood boiling. Yeah, like everything in Dwayne Johnson's life, it is staged to within an inch of his life. And he is watching, you know, big screen spectacle, DC superhero movie of the year, the way it's intended to be in a well-lit room with 15 different marketing people on a tiny telly with somebody taking pictures of his massive neck and tequila in the background. He has more money than God. And every time he posts an Instagram picture of him watching a film on his laptop, on his kitchen table with bottles of tequila and god-awful Under Armour shoes strategically placed (laughs) around the room... It absolutely infuriates me. He is a, he's just, and this sums him up. The fact that it's like in sitting in a room with a bunch of marketing people and everything he said about the film, oh, the marketing of this is going to be great. This is going to have the best SEO of anything you've ever seen. He said nothing about the script. He said nothing about the film. All he talks about is tequila working out, under armor grinding, or he'll have videos where he's like surprising people with houses. Like, oh, what a convenience. You know, you just happen to have a, a professional film crew there. Or he's, you know, fishing alone in the middle of nowhere. It's like, this is great to get my headpiece. Then who is filming this on 4K (laughs) and posting, you know, a video on Instagram if you were there on your own getting your headpiece? He 
is an absolute melt. And the worst part about it is I used to love him. He had charisma to born. His first few films, like a walking tall, welcome to the jungle, really liked. And now he's just the, the, the whole thing. The whole reason I don't like him is one quote where he said, I send, I'm getting sent scripts for great films that would do well, but they wouldn't do as well as other films. And the most amount of eyes wouldn't see them. So I don't do it. So he is willingly doing middle of the road tosh because he knows people will go and see it. A three out of five film just because he's in it. Bang, on to the next one. I hope Black Adam makes $10 of the box office and we can finally be rid of him and we can give Batista the crown he deserves because he is actually working with proper film directors. And guess what he, Batista does before every film? He works with something called an acting coach, which if you said that to The Rock, he would say, what's that? That's like somebody who like helps you build up muscles on screen. He is the most infuriating man on earth and his success just annoys the Christ out of me because none of it's deserved. He is Tony Robbins with muscles that has inexplicably just got bigger and bigger physically, metaphysically, internationally, <laughs> cinematically. And he watches films on a laptop. He could pay for a cinema to be built anywhere he stops his car and he still chooses to watch and have people taking pictures in the middle of... So obviously everyone's on their phone during the film as well. So imagine sitting there watching the first cut of Black Adam and somebody's there like taking pictures and having a photo shoot in the background. So obviously he doesn't care about what's going on. Why should I? Oh, Andy, that is just brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. We're going to move on. Shia LaBeouf, Olivia Wilde, and then Florence Pugh. There is so much going on here in these last few days. And I don't know who's who's coming out on top here because it, for a while, uh, Shia LaBeouf has been person non grata um, within certain Hollywood circles. He, he and But he's definitely been on a charm offensive of late. He's been on a, a series of podcasts like Joe Berenthal's one. And he's got a Padro Pio movie coming out. And he is really doing the mea culpa bit and showcasing I am a reformed person. I have uh, quit the booze. Um, he's a father. He's married. He's a very much a different person to the one that was constantly tabloid fodder over the last few years. And he has refuted Olivia Wilde's claim that he was fired. Olivia, just to bring you in here, just for those that might have missed this story, what has actually transpired? So essentially, Olivia Wilde did a big, massive interview and said that he was let go from uh, Don't Worry Darling and replaced with Harry Styles because um, Florence was fearful for her safety that uh, Shia LaBeouf made her feel uncomfortable and it just wasn't going to work out um, unless he changed, didn't want to change and Sinead, he was gonzo. He then countered by saying, no, no, I actually left the production even though she begged me to stay and then hence released a big video of her basically throwing Florence under the bus saying how she just needed to get over it um, and really wanted him to stay on the project, or at least that's how it all sort of came across. Um, So there was that. There's already been a bit of uh, drama between herself and Florence as well. There were rumours of the two of them having had a falling out, especially around the time of the first trailer landing for the film. Uh, Florence shared how she wasn't too happy to see that the, the sex scenes that she was really sort of like giving her trust in herself to were then used as gratuitously as they were in the trailer just to try and bring people in to go see the film that because that's not what the film is about and that's not what it was about for her um, either. And uh, yeah, basically that's the people then think that herself and uh, Olivia are now at uh, loggerheads. Florence is now no longer going to be doing any press for the film outside of the Venice Film Festival. 
it is just a bit of a mess for them, I have to say. Oh, and then there was also the whole thing of uh, Harry Styles being paid more than Florence Pugh for the film. I'd forgotten about that point as well. So, yeah, basically, Olivia Wilde is just in hot water at the moment, really. Chris, have you been following this? And if you have, has this soured Olivia Wilde? It's kind of soured the film for me before I've watched it. And I wish I didn't know about any of this stuff because I was, and let's face it, I still am. I am quite looking forward to Don't Worry Darling. You know, the only other film that Olivia Wilde has made was Booksmart. But I say the only other film, Booksmart was about as perfect a comedy as you could ask for. Um, and I'm, I'm interested to see, A, what Don't Worry Darling is actually about because the trailer doesn't really give anything away. And B, if it's as good a film as Booksmart. But there's so much noise and so much smoke behind this that I, I it's it's kind of impossible to ignore. I mean there there's there there were stories that Florence Pugh wasn't happy with uh the idea, the story, the allegations that that basically Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles initiated uh, an affair because she was still with Jason Sudeikis, you know, she was still with Ted Lasso basically uh, when they started work on that film. And then there's this, you know, there's the video that Olivia mentioned where she refers to Florence Pugh as Miss Flo. And I'm thinking mm, that sounds pretty bad. I don't, I don't like the way she referred to her uh, as Miss Flo. Uh, there's the, you know, outright lie that, that, you know, Shia was fired because of his conduct. Then Shia's uh, uh, emails going public and texts, you know, saying, look, they're all here. You can see I wasn't fired. I left. Um, I don't know if, 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 if anyone has actually responded to the whole pay dispute thing, if Harry was paid more or whatever, or I don't know if, if, if her, if Florence Pugh not doing press <clears throat> might have something to do with the fact that she's actually off doing the, the, uh, is it the Dune sequel? So yeah, I think Dune it's, it, yeah. So kind of that actually does, I mean, that is quite logical that it does clash, you know, and stars, you know, like have been known to kind of, you know, back out of press because, you know, unfortunately they're making another movie, but there's, there's just something, there's a bit of bad buzz around this. Another thing is when, you know, there have been other films before where, you know, people, you know, where male directors have gotten up to all sorts of things on their sets and, you know, there's maybe been falling out between the male director and the biggest star. It doesn't get this much attention, Gordon. And the director then doesn't come under as much fire as Olivia Wilde has. So I don't know if that has something to do with it. Because if you... If yeah, the you, only thing kind of comparable is the Snow White and the Huntsman one. And yeah. everyone went after yeah. Kirsten Stewart. Yeah, as more to exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you look up Olivia Wilde right now on Twitter, it is horrible, the stuff that you'll see on Twitter. And a lot of that comes from a very toxic corner of the Harry Styles fan base, which is such a, which is such a shame because... I love Harry Styles and and his music this year has been fantastic. I think I think he's a great performer. I'm quite looking forward to his performance in this. I don't I don't want to buy into any of those videos. There's been a video going around Gordon of this 15 second clip of Don't Worry Darling where people are calling him a terrible actor. Everyone knows that you could take any scene out of any film and he might be terrible in this we don't know, but everyone knows you can take any scene out of any film and make it it it'll look ridiculous if you don't see anything around this. So I'm not buying into that. But it's such a shame that if you google Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde now, or if you looked them up on any of your social media channels, the stuff about Olivia Wilde is just, it's un—it's unrepeatable. Well, there How you do you lose a PR war to Shia LaBeouf? That takes a special kind of that's true. messing up. Well, do you know what? And I suppose th- this is it. It's where he did have the goods on her. And I think, did he go to Variety or one of those type of outlets? And I suppose when he's, this is him, as I said, from the get-go, he is very much trying to put it out there that I am a reformed character. I'm a different guy. I used up all my goodwill and I'm willing to get back in there now and scrub the pots and pans again to prove that I am 
uh, this actor that people thought I am and I and I'm a, I become a better person. So maybe the re, the the reformation has started and it this might make people take him seriously again and maybe let's take him seriously again. Maybe I'm breathing into it very deeply, but he did have the goods in her and he was able to prove it. And now she's being found out. Whatever about everything going on being let go, but like to flat out lie and say, look, I fired him because I wanted to protect my actress and this is going to be an A-hole zone. Knowing he has that video and these emails and Shia LaBeouf is, you know, unpredictable at the best of times. He's absolutely going to release them. He's not going to sit back and take you know, another pound in the press when he has an actual video of you contradicting everything that you're saying. And we're saying there, Chris, about the, um, you know, the press tour of people. She can very easily share a trailer on Instagram because I know because she shared the Oppenheimer trailer which came out yeah. after the, the Don't mm-hmm. Worry Darling one. She's not interacted with Olivia Wilde on Instagram at all. Olivia Wilde posted a, a kind of a tribute saying, oh, she's been such a fantastic actress and great. And she just basically left her on red and didn't say anything about it. So yeah, it, it's not outside the realms of possibility that she wasn't happy about the affair going on behind the back and thought that was a distraction. Still very curious to see the film. Like Chris said, Booksmart was absolutely fantastic. We're starting to build our relationship again. Very Shia LaBeouf-esque between the two of us here. Yeah, it's, it's still interested in seeing it. But yeah, I think Olivia Wall could have done without the drama. And to Chris's point as well, it's it's certainly like there's very few female directors working now. And then they see this uh, you know, nonsense going on behind the scenes. It's just going to end up, you know, we're giving less opportunities to people to make films like this when, you know, we should be, judging them on the merits of their work and not on who they're going out with. Exactly. And it's such a shame as well, because don't worry, darling. I, I hope I hope it's good. And if it is, I hope it makes a lot of money and I hope it's quite successful. It's based on nothing. And it's this original piece. This is the kind of thing that we want to see more of. These original films uh, from, you know, very talented filmmakers and also featuring an A-list cast. And if this bombs... And if it turns out to be good, a good film, if it's critically acclaimed, but it bombs because of stuff that went on behind the scenes, we're not going to get any more films like that. Olivia, the final word to you on Don't Worry Darling. Where do you think this will all stand? Well, Chris and I were actually two of the people who were saying that we were like most looking forward to this film kind of like towards like the second half of the year. Um, but at the end of the day, like PR 101 is you don't get caught in a lie. Like that's always taught to anyone when they're going through any press training. And Olivia Wilde has unfortunately just gotten herself so tied up in the situation that, you know, now it's all unraveling and this is all anybody wants to talk about. So it is completely detracting from the film itself. And if it turns people off it, then that's going to be a big shame, especially if it is such a great film. But like it is literally rule 101. You don't get caught up in a lie, especially when someone has the receipts. Well said, Olivia. Listen, guys, unfortunately, time is caught up with us. We'll have to leave it there. As always, Olivia Fahey, Andy McCarroll, Chris Wasser, a pleasure chatting to you. That's our lot for this week on We Love Movies. We'll do it all again next week right here on Spin. Thanks for listening.